Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. We want God to have his way. So let me get into this. um, Surprisingly, probably the biggest word in the English language has only two letters in it. It's this word, if. And, uh, you know, it's a word that can change your life. It's a word that can change the course of history. It's a two-letter word that can change the course of eternity, okay? And we're going to look in depth at that word today. Uh, I'm going to add another word to it, though, and we're not going to just talk about if. I want to talk about if only. If only. That's a phrase we've all used at some point in our lives. I'm sure of that. It almost always captures the spirit of regret. And usually it voices regret over uh, a decision we failed to make or maybe poor decisions that we did make. And I think we can all relate to that. Or maybe it's an opportunity we missed that we wish we could revisit. And I don't know about you, but I hate feelings of regret. Um, You probably do also. They keep us up at night. And, you know, we say, you know, if only I had listened closer. If only I had listened to my pastor. If only I had listened to my dad or my mom. Uh, If only I had waited just a little bit longer. If only I had uh, resisted that temptation that came my way and turned my back on it. You know, we say, if only I had acted differently, or if only I had acted at all. If only I hadn't been so hesitant. If only I hadn't procrastinated. If, if only I had trusted God with all my heart. If only I had forgiven that one that harmed me, that maligned me. If only I had endured just another day. If only I had repented when I knew there was sin resident in my heart and I had not really submitted it to God. We've all been there, okay? And we hate those feelings of regret. So I'd like to help you avoid as many of those feelings as possible. So the truths that I can uh, help reveal in this message today. So let's pray. We want God to have his way. Lord, we do love you. And we've all been there in a place of regret, Lord. Uh, We certainly don't want to stand in judgment someday, and that's all we have is regrets. But Lord, I pray you bless us with your word and the truth of it today, and I know that you will. We're trusting you together in Jesus' name. Praise God. So why do we sometimes find ourselves in times of regret? You may, I could probably get a bunch of different answers if we had time to go around and talk to all of you, but, um, you know, we almost never make poor decisions on purpose. We almost always have good intentions. And, and I don't know about you, but I never get up in the morning and say, you know what, I'm going to do everything wrong today. I am going to mess my life up like you've never seen before <clears throat> so that by the end of the day, it's an absolute catastrophe. I don't do that. I wake up with good intentions. I want to be the best dad I can be, the best husband I can be, the best minister I can be, the best whatever And you're probably the same way. So why do we wind up at times with big-time regret over the decisions we made through the course of a day? Well, one of the reasons is this ugly D word called discouragement, okay? We, We get discouraged when we perceive life's not fair. And we all have some experience with that. This isn't fair. 
Uh, we get discouraged when situations seem to be beyond control, and there just doesn't seem to be anything we can do about it. Or we get discouraged when we face an enemy that appears to be a little bit too strong for us to really defeat. And then feelings of hopelessness begin to set in. And then we, uh, we get desperate and we become vulnerable to this sin called unbelief, okay? And it just, it just starts snowballing on us. And then we start making decisions that are not in harmony with God's word, okay? We're a bit out of control. Or we start avoiding decisions that we know are in harmony with God's word, and we're not really willing to make them because of discouragement. <clears throat> but I want to tell you something. Discouragement is not the real cause of if-only regrets, okay? It's just part of the equation. Uh, if-only regrets are the results of our failure to believe totally in the if promises found in God's word, okay? Now, there are 1,784 recorded ifs in the Bible, and most of them are, are really connected to a conditional promise from God. In other words, God says, if you will, I will. Okay, there's 1,784 of those where God is saying, if you will, if you will do this, then I will do this. If you will say, if you will think, if you will believe, if you will claim, then I will do my part. And really, the biggest if of them all, the one that we absolutely must believe if we expect to avoid a lifestyle of if-only regrets is found in the book of Romans, and it's a verse of scripture that most of us know. It's very simple. It's a short one-liner, Romans 8.31. It says, if God is for us, who can be against us? We sang about that this morning, okay? This is an amazing promise. And really, the word if here in that verse as used, it's not some hopeful, speculative if. Oh, if, if God is for me, and I sure hope he is. That's not the context. It's a bold statement that God is indeed for us. And guess what? He is, okay? He's not just for me. He's not just for your pastor. He's for each and every one of us. So do you believe that? And how often do you profess it? How often do you live your life in such a way that it is conclusively proved that you believe that? Hey, if God's for me, who can be against me? Or do you live in the realm of discouragement and unbelief and fear and keep coming back to this place where you have nothing but a boatload of regrets? So I'm going to ask you to do a simple little exercise and don't get nervous. This is Everybody can do this. I want you to just close your eyes, okay? Everybody in here. And right now, not out loud, just say this in your heart. If God is for me, who can be against me? And now keep your eyes closed. I want you to think about a struggle that you might presently be going through that has maybe looked a little bit overwhelming to you. And I want you to say it again. If God is for me, who can be against me? How can this struggle be against me? Okay, so now you can open your eyes, and I want you to look at the person sitting next to you or close to you and look them in the eyes and say, if God is for me, who can be against me? Say it again. It sounds pretty good, doesn't it? If God is for me, who can be against me? 
Let me connect that verse to another scripture that will really help us understand. It's a scripture that many of us can quote, uh, but I don't think as many of us totally believe. Do you, do you believe there are some scriptures like that? You can quote them, but if you were honest before God, you'd have to say, boy, I don't know about that one. Okay? Paul revealed this powerful truth in Romans chapter 8. He said a lot of neat things in Romans 8, okay? In verse 28, it says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Now, I want to point out, he says, we know, okay? We don't just hope. Now, here's the problem. Sometimes we just hope this is true. Paul says, no, we know this is true, okay? We're not just hoping it will be true. Yeah, but you don't know my predicament. You don't know my situation. I mean, I hope it turns out okay. No, Paul says it will turn out okay. All things work together for good. Now, of course, that verse is really hard to believe when you get the life-threatening diagnosis from the doctor. It's hard to believe when the boss fires you. Or when your children rebel against God or problems just seem to loom that are, are massive. Nevertheless, the verse is true. So let me dissect that verse a little bit for a while here. <clears throat> he said, all things work together for good. Not just some things, okay? We have to believe what the scripture says. It includes the bad things that come our way. But let me clarify something. And listen closely. This is not a promise for everybody. There are conditions. Remember I told you out of the 1,784 ifs recorded in the Bible, most of them are conditional where God says, if you will, then I will. Okay, this is one of those. This is a promise to those, as it says, who are the called according to God's purpose. Now, here's the good news for us. That's us. We are a chosen generation, God's own special people, okay? But did you notice that there is a concealed if in the midst of Romans 8.28. It says all things work together for good to everybody who's ever lived. No, it doesn't. It says all things work together for good to those who love God. They will work together for our good if we love God. But here's the reality. If we don't love God, all sorts of bad things can happen. You can reject God. You can reject truth. You can go out on your own pathway, and it's a miserable place to be. You can cut yourself off from God's protective hand. Now, I know you love God, or at least I hope you do. And I know that he has a divine purpose for your life. And I know, I absolutely know that God can and God will use even the worst scenarios and things that happen to you for your ultimate good, but only if you really do love God. Now, how do we know if we really do love God? If we show up for church once a week, does that proclaim clearly that we love God? <clears throat> no, if we pray once in a while, if we even teach a Bible study to somebody, no, it doesn't. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, you can say, well, that's not quite what it says. It says, if you love me, keep my commandments. But if you study the original Greek text in that, the real meaning is not some threat from Jesus. If you love me, you better keep my commandments, the way we treat our children sometimes. No, the real context and meaning is if you love me, you will desire to keep my commandments. It will be in your heart. You'll want to do that. Why is that? Well, because love is as love does, okay? 
You can't separate the two. Now, have you ever heard the saying, God is good all the time and all the time God is good? Maybe you've sung that song. We are prone to believe that when everything's going good. But if it's not also true when things are going bad, then it's not true at all. Okay, but let me clarify. This doesn't mean that bad things are good. But it does mean that no matter how bad things may be, God can use them for our good, okay? Now, <clears throat> this is a tough message, and I don't know if you can buy into this, but I pray you can, because we struggle with this message, all right? We can nod our heads and clap and say yes and hallelujah and everything, but then the, the problem comes your direction, and you can tune out in a hurry and start saying, well, this isn't good. We have to believe that all things work together for good to those called according to his purpose, those who really do love God. So I want to help you understand this. Let, let me read to you um, an African folktale that will help us clarify a little bit what I'm talking about. It's an old African folktale about a king and his best friend who grew up together. They did everything together. Now, the king's friend had a saying, in every single circumstance, he would say, this is good. One day, the king and his friend were out hunting. His friend loaded the king's firearm, who fired it, but it exploded and blew the king's thumb off. As was his habit, the friend said, this is good. To which the king replied, this is not good. And he had his friend thrown in prison. A year later, the king was out hunting without his friend who was in prison when he was captured by cannibals. The king was taken back to their village and tied at the stake, and he thought to them himself, this is not good at all. But just before lighting the fire, one of the cannibals noticed that the king's thumb was missing. According to tribal tradition, they would never eat anyone who wasn't whole. So they untied the king and let him go. And when the king realized his missing thumb was what had spared his life, he immediately thought of his best friend whom he'd sent to prison. He went to the prison, visited his friend, and he said, you know, you were right. It is good that my thumb was blown off. I'm so sorry that I sent you to jail. This is not good. To which his friend said, no, this is good. The king still didn't understand. He said, what do you mean this is good? I sent my best friend to jail for an entire year. The friend insisted, no, this is good. Because if I hadn't been in jail, I would have been hunting with you, and my thumb's not missing. <laughs> now, Romans 8.28 sounds real good in theory, does it not? But it's often difficult to find instant peace and acceptance and contentment in our lives when everything's going bad. In other words, it's difficult to embrace Romans 8.28 when our thumb gets blown off. That's when it's tough for us. And that is particularly due to a cultural mindset that we have, particularly here in America. We, we desire a quick fix to almost every problem, do we not? I mean, we want a pill that'll just fix us when we're sick. We, we want someone to just bail us out of everything. And we're not naturally patient, and none of us really enjoys problems, right? I mean, I never pray that I have more problems. So here's a very important point that I want you to understand 
If you're really going to truly hide the truth of Romans 8.28 in your heart, this may be the most important point of this message. We usually have a very difficult time distinguishing between immediate good and ultimate good. We're far more prone to seek immediate good than we are to wait for ultimate good because we're not patient. We want the quick fix. But I believe Romans 8.28 is speaking about ultimate good. It captures an eternal perspective. We, we put so much emphasis on our 70 or 80 years on planet Earth when it's just one tiny dot on the from uh, forever was to forever will be line, okay? Eternal good is way more important and valuable than immediate good. And our problem is this, we forget that if God is for us, no one can be against us, right? And we forget that all things do work together for our ultimate good, even the things we can't understand. I, you know, I'm in the same boat as you are. There's a, I have a lot of stuff going on in my world that I don't really like. They don't look all that good. And I've got both my thumbs, but you know, who knows what tomorrow brings, so the great Christian writer George MacDonald said this. He said, everything depends on the kind of God one believes in. So what kind of God do you believe in? Is he a truthful, faithful God? Is he a God that you can trust his promises regardless of situations and circumstances? Is he a God that you can trust during good times and bad times? Is he a God that you know his word is totally true? Is he a God of love? Is he a God of mercy? Is he a God of provision? Is he a God of protection? Or, or do you see him as a God who sometimes is unwilling or incapable of really meeting your every need? Now, here's the deal. We already have a promise he'll meet our every need. We do not have a promise that he will meet our every desire. And our desire typically is, well, we just want immediate fixes to things. We are impatient to wait for the ultimate good that goes beyond what we can comprehend. And you know what? God will allow somebody that he loves enough to have gone to Calvary to actually suffer and die or go through extreme hardship if ultimately somewhere down the road, maybe even generations down the road, a soul will be saved because of that. We can't understand that or comprehend that or easily accept that when we're in the midst of it, when we're the one whose thumb is just blown off, but God always has a bigger picture, and we need to trust him in that. So let me give you a biblical example. A guy named Gideon, okay? In uh, Judges 6.6, 6, it says Israel, and we're talking about the nation of Israel here, okay? Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now, that's a good thing to do when you're greatly impoverished, when you're starving to death, when, when you have a big-time medical problem, when things are going wrong, <clears throat> cry out to the Lord. But this was an extremely difficult time for the nation of Israel. The, the Midianites would come against them every single harvest season, once a year, and they would destroy basically everything they had. They'd kill the livestock, they'd steal the livestock, they'd burn the crops, they'd take the crops, and they lived with that scenario and that constant fear for seven consecutive years, okay? This is when Gideon lived. And really, if Romans 8.28 had already been written back in this time, 
I think it would have been really difficult for them to say to each other, hey, don't worry. I mean, all things work together for good. They, all they did was burn every crop we have. All they did was kill all our animals. I mean, everything's working for, this is good, isn't it? No, it would be really tough. And I know Romans 8.28 wasn't written then yet, but God had not forgotten his chosen people. He had made promises to them. He had a purpose for them. And you know what? He had not forgotten Gideon, and he has not forgotten you. Now, I don't know where you're at, okay? I mean, we could compare our sad stories, I guess, and I don't know that anybody gets to just slide through this life without some issues and problems. I mean, Job said, man's days are few and full of trouble. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. But he also said, be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. And we can say, if we're not plugged into the truth of Romans 8, 28, well, it doesn't look like you've overcome the world. Come on, look at my life. Look at my checkbook. Look at my family. Look at my marriage. Look at whatever. But his word is true. So God had not forgotten Gideon. God has not forgotten you. All things do work together for good to the called according to his purpose. And again, the good news is that's us. The Bible clearly states that we are the called of Jesus Christ, okay? <clears throat> so Gideon had lost sight of God's promised love. He lost sight of God's promised provision and protection to the nation of Israel that was recorded clearly in the Old Testament. He was discouraged. He was fearful. Things did not look that good. He was making some poor decisions, okay? And he had a whole bunch of if-only regrets going on in his brain, I would imagine, every night when he went to bed. He spent his time threshing wheat in a wine press to hide himself from fear uh, from the Midianites. And, and that's where the angel of the Lord found him when we read this. The angel said something really strange in Judges 6.12. He said, the Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. Now, I don't think we usually call a man hiding in fear a mighty man of valor, do we? You know, somebody hiding in the dumpster who thinks there's no hope for tomorrow, you wouldn't come upon him and just say, hey, mighty man of valor, how's it going in the dumpster? But this is kind of what he's doing. And what, what is Gideon's response when the angel of the Lord calls him a mighty man of valor? Well, he voices his fear and he voices his doubt. He's deeply discouraged and it shows up in his reply. And he uses the word if, but he uses it in the wrong context. He says, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? Have we ever said that? You know, if the Lord's really with me, why is this going on? Why am I going through so much hardship? I mean, I've been there. I, you know, when I tore my rotator cuff and I'm supposed to leave in two days to preach in Alabama, some big conference, and I can't even brush my teeth or, you know, undo my belt, I'm, I'm in trouble when I've got an MRI that says it's wrecked and you're going to have to have surgery. I'm laying in the lazy boy at night complaining to God about, hey, come on, I'm one of the good guys. I, I preach healing. Let's go here. I, I got to go preach in two days. And, the, you know, the hours just go by and the days go by and it just gets worse. It's hard for us to understand. That's when we say something like Gideon said, hey, if God is for us, 
what's going on with the Midianites? And I don't want to waste a bunch of time here, but I'll tell you what. <clears throat> God brought me to a place of desperation after two nights in that lazy boy, uh, thinking I was about dead, where I actually did reach the place where I said, Lord, I surrender to your will here. You know what? Rip the other shoulder too. What, if that's your will, I'm okay with it. Just do it. It doesn't matter. And then God just spoke to my heart the way he sometimes will, you know. And he said, why don't you just quit whining and complaining and begging me to do what I already promised to do. I can heal you, you know. He said, what? You've been praying for your shoulder for 48 hours. Why don't you pray for somebody else? And so I, that night I started praying for other people. And, I, you know, I went on for hours. And I eventually fell asleep forgetting totally about my arm. And when I woke up the next morning, I was completely, totally, 100% healed. I could do anything I wanted with my shoulder. When I, I went and preached in Alabama, I carried my own suitcase, I drove a car, I did it all, I whooped it up and told them what God had done for me. I came back and saw the orthopedic surgeon who looked at the MRI and his words literally, I don't know who he was or what he knew about me, but he said, it is apparent to me that Jesus has done a miracle in your life. Those are the, the surgeon's words, okay? Well, he had. So, but here's, here's how dumb we are, okay? Because we're human. The next time I got sick and had something wrong with me, I thought, I got this figured out. Just go sit in the lazy boy and pray for other people. And I prayed and stayed sick. Because <laughs> it's not up to us, okay? Now that time, God wanted to heal me, but he didn't have to heal me. If there was a bigger purpose, then we have to be okay with it because his word is true. So, you know, Gideon is... He didn't seem to comprehend God is always with us and God is always for us and nothing can separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. That's New Testament truth for us. But Gideon was doing what we sometimes do. He fixed his eyes on his problem, not his God. Anybody, anybody ever done that? Have you ever spent days maybe fixing your eyes on your problems rather than your God? So Gideon was hindered by how he viewed his situation and how he viewed God and how he viewed himself. We can do that. His situation looked hopeless. Seemingly, God was nowhere to be found, and that's how he viewed him. And he saw himself as a weak, defeated farmer. Sometimes we do that. We view our situation as impossible, and this will never work out. And you may not admit it that you say that out loud and proclaim it to God, but sometimes we rehearse that stuff between our two ears. And we, we are speaking negative things. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. You cannot separate your life from how you think. So, Yes, his situation did look hopeless, and God didn't seem to be anywhere around. We hear that in his, his negative if statements. Well, if God is here and if God is for us, why is all this going on? And then he sees himself as a weak, defeated farmer. You know what, though? His views were contrary to how God viewed things, okay? <clears throat> how often is that true of us? That if you would really take an accurate assessment at the end of a day, 
about your thought life and how you view things, you would come to the conclusion, you know what, my view is not really like God's view. My view is not like God's word proclaims, okay? This is where Gideon was at. So Judges 6.14, and I'm just using uh, parts of these next three verses. Uh, you'll see them on the screen, though. <clears throat> the Lord said, go in this might of yours, and you shall save Israel. Have I not sent you? Now, what, what do you think Gideon's response would have been or should have been? Oh, is it, you're sending me? Awesome, let's go. Get the chariot. But here's his response. So he said to him, oh, my Lord, how can I save Israel? I'm the least in my father's house. Now, do we sometimes do that? The Bible says we're more than conquerors, and I meet people that sometimes try to convince me that they're more than a loser. And I have to take them to God's word and say, no, you're not. And they say, well, I don't feel like a conqueror. You don't have to feel like a conqueror, okay? You have to believe what God's word says. So God says, go in this might of yours. You will save Israel. Have I not sent you? And he's still whining and complaining. How can I do that? Come on, I'm the least. I don't have a Bible education. I'm not a very gifted. I'm, I'm a shy person. I'm reserved. I, whatever. The Lord said to him, surely I will be with you. I will be with you is a life-changing statement, or it should be, okay? And you know what? God says the same thing to us. I will be with you. You can do this. You can live for me. You can work for me. You can get through this struggle. So Gideon eventually believed that God was with him. That's the good news in his story. And he came to believe that God could actually help him to be victorious, despite the fact that he's the least in his father's house and he's just a defeated farmer hiding in a wine press, okay? Our faith does amazing things. When we get done complaining and whining and being negative and living with fear and discouragement and doubt and unbelief, amazing things happen. If Gideon hadn't come to that place, you know what? He would have lived the rest of his life in the regretful realm of if only. If God had to use someone else, he'd say, oh, if only I hadn't sat in that stupid wine press for days. If only I had listened to the angel of the Lord. If only I had trusted God. If only I had been a little more courageous and a little more bold and had a little more faith, something amazing could have happened and God could have done it through me. <clears throat> now, here's the reality. Same thing's true for us, okay? I don't know what your wine press looks like. I don't know how often you go there. I don't know how often you're in hiding because of fears about uncertain scenarios and situations in your life. But we have to trust God. Go back to Gideon. God was not asking him to do the impossible. Now, was it impossible for somebody like him to defeat the entire Midianite army? Yeah, in the realm of the physical world, but not in the realm of the spiritual world. He simply had to believe God. And you know what? We need to do the same. Now, we can look at that story and say, you know what? If I had been hiding out for seven years in the wine press off and on, and the angel of the Lord actually appeared to me and spoke to me, I'd have jumped out of that wine press so fast and said, what do you want me to do? But I'm not so certain that's true. 
Because we know a whole lot more about God and his love and his provision and his protection than Gideon ever did. We know about Calvary. We know about the mighty God in Christ. We know about the power of the Holy Ghost. We, we have eternal truth implanted in our hearts. We have the temple. We are the temple of his spirit. And sometimes the angel of the Lord could stand on the hood of our car and we still wouldn't believe him. So I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. We're going to bring this to a close. <clears throat> he had to believe God. We need to believe God. Now, you've heard a lot of messages about faith and believing God and trusting God. You can either do something with this message and get it in your heart, or you can dismiss it and go home with negative thoughts working in your brain. But we must believe that if, and that is a huge big if. I have it highlighted and in bold in my notes here. We must believe that if God is for us, nobody can be against us. Why? I mean, think about this really. If the God who created the entire universe by speaking it into existence, who created these miracle bodies that we have, if that God is for us and he can't protect us, then there's no hope for anybody in the entire universe. I mean, if God is for me and he is, then everything really is good. And we have to believe that. We must believe that because God is for us, not if he's for us, but because he's for us, that nothing can separate us from his love. Yeah, but what about my scenario? What about my problem? What about my issue? What about all these people that are trying to harm me? We must believe because God is for us, nothing can separate us from his love. Of course, we have scripture, Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Doesn't matter things that were, things that are, things that will be, things high, things low, things, nothing. And we must believe that because God is for us, that we're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. And again, you can say, well, I don't feel like a conqueror. God doesn't run on feelings. He runs on eternal truth. You're more than a conqueror because of what he's done. He conquered sin and death. <clears throat> he has all power and all authority in heaven and on earth, and he has imparted that and given that to his children. And we must believe because God is for us that we can do all things through him who strengthens us. Not just some things, we can do all things. And we need to believe that because he's for us, no weapon formed against us can prosper. And that sin will not have dominion over us. And I could go on and on and on, but all that stuff is eternally true. So here's what I'm saying. How about let's be bold? Let, let's crawl out of our personal wine press and refuse to live in the realm of if only. I don't want to live with if only. Let, let's totally trust God's ultimate, eternal purpose for our lives, not just the quick fix, immediate good that might come our way, but let's actually believe that God knows what he's doing, that we are the called according to his purpose, and because we love him, his divine will is actually working in our lives the way he promised it was. And again, you can just keep running back to it saying, yes, but... This isn't the way I would have mapped it out. You know what I'm really thankful for? I'm thankful you're not God. 
I'm really thankful I'm not God, because if I was and I got my way in everything, we'd be in a world of trouble on planet Earth, okay? Listen, your God knows what he's doing, and you can wrestle, yeah, but this isn't the way I want it to go. Well, you know what? He's smarter than you, and he's equipped you. We can handle what comes our way. So let's revisit the biggest if in the Bible every day, okay? <clears throat> I'm going to ask you to this altar in a moment here, and I want you to come. You can pray about whatever you want, but don't leave this altar until you tell God that you totally believe that because he's for you, nothing can really come against you. If God is for me, who can be against me? You need to tell him that. And, and I want to give you just a, another little challenge. Before you leave today, would you again come up to at least two or three people and look them in the eye and say, if God is for me, who can be against me? I mean, really, Carla, if God's for me, who can be against me? You don't even need to know my story. You don't need to know my burdens. You don't need to know my problems. You don't need to come up and say, well, how are you feeling today? You know, I'll tell you how I'm feeling today. I'm feeling really good because I trust God. That doesn't mean that I didn't just have a fairly severe vertigo episode two weeks ago that has me nervous yet again because I've been through this and I went through every neurological test and brain scan known to mankind through the ear, nose, and throat clinic and they come away from all of that after months and say, huh, we're not sure. Maybe it's vesicular migraines. Maybe it's, yeah. Who cares what it maybe is, all right? So I can't tell you, you know what? I am just 1,000% totally healthy. I don't have any burdens. Everybody I care about is living for God the way they're supposed to. I mean, my goodness, I get such good mileage in my car and I got more money than I know what to do with. I can't tell you that. And you probably can't tell me that either, right? Are we being hypocrites then if we come up here and tell God, if God, if you are for me, who can be against me? Are we hypocrites if we look one another in the eye and say, Pastor, if God's for me, who can be against me? And I, I'm not looking for an invitation for you to then say, yeah, but I know some of your problems. I know some of your burden. That, that has no part in it. My wife and I know all sorts of stuff. We've been married 44 years, okay? I can't look at her and say, isn't it amazing that after all these years, we don't have a problem in the world? She's saying, what happened to my husband? But I can look her in the eye and say, Anita, if God's for us, who can be against us? And, and there, there's no room then for yes, but did you forget what happened just yesterday? Did you forget what so-and-so said? Did you forget what she's doing now? Did you forget that stupid FaceTime post that we read? No, but if God's for us, who can be against us? Because actually I'm striving for eternal, ultimate good, not just immediate quick fixes to the problems of life here on planet Earth. Listen, they killed so many Christians in the early days. They martyred them, they crucified them, they burned them at the stake, they tortured them, they tortured their families. And you can come away saying, what kind of a God would allow that to go on? 
Maybe a God that wanted to inspire multitudes around the planet to live for him and live forever with him one day in ultimate good and not be overconsumed by the immediate catastrophes of life. Because you know what? Sin entered into this world and we are not going to be problem free. But we will be one day. Praise God. So will you come and find your place here? Talk to the Lord about this message. <clears throat> And talk to one another a little bit before you leave. Just encourage one another with this simple truth. If God is for me, who can be against me? You are good. You are good. Your mercy is forever. You are good. You are good, you are good, your mercy is forever, you are good, you are good, you are good, your mercy is forever, you